0: Welcome to the Family's Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills, and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VICTAS. We're a membership based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners, And other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Welcome to Family Voices Podcast. I'm Kerry Ball, and I'm joined today by Jody, who wants to share her family story. Hello, Jody. It's great to meet you.
1: Hi, Kerry. Thank you so much for having me and um, allowing me to share my story.
0: Oh, no, it's generous of you. We might just get started, Jodie, by you telling us a bit about your family.
1: Yeah, awesome. So um, I'm a mum to two little girls. I've got Charlotte, who is six, and Alana, who is two, and i um, I've got my husband as well um, and we're just what I would sort of call your normal family, normal Australian family, you know. Um, my husband and I both work full-time, Charlotte, my six-year-old attends school and Alana, the two-year-old, uh, attends daycare.
0: So that's okay. us. But, Well, thank you for introducing yourselves. We'll we'll dig a bit deeper, Jody, but Maybe you could get us um, thinking about your family life a bit more by taking us back to your daughter's early days as an infant when um, she was having real difficulties with her health.
1: Yeah, sure. So my daughter Charlotte is um, my child who has uh, all her difficulties. Um, so Charlotte was born at 36 weeks um, after a very complicated pregnancy, which involved A stitch for incompetent cervix, um, a two vessel umbilical cord, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes—you name it, it happened. Um, I'd lost a child a couple of years earlier due to incompetent cervix, so it was already a very stressful time, and it seemed like the world was against us. But she was delivered, you know, healthy and safe at 36 weeks, and from that moment on, we noticed a couple of things that that were concerning to us. So Charlotte. she breathed funny. And when I sort of tell people that she breathed funny, they're like, oh, but she was a baby and she was little and babies breathe funny. And I said, no, it was different. Her whole chest would cave in when she took a breath. And after, you know, a couple of weeks, all she did was cry and all she did was feed constantly and something, just something in the back of my mind said something's wrong. You know, this isn't this isn't a cry like I'm a hungry cry, I want a cuddle cry. This is a something's wrong cry. So, I started to take her off to see. First, we started with our local GP. They pulled in a paediatrician. We weren't sort of getting any traction. So, we then went off to the Children's Hospital here in Melbourne and we saw a few different paediatricians. And she was about four months old at this stage when a paediatrician looked at her and said, She breathes funny. (laughs) And I said, I know. And we showed the video of the moment she was born because you could see her whole chest caving in and They took us through and they did some x-rays and they found that she had a paralysed right diaphragm. So her right diaphragm was not working at all. It was just, just sitting there while the left side was working. And then she got hit with a really nasty case of bronchiolitis and we ended up in the ICU at, or PICU at the Children's Hospital. And that started, we lived there for six months in and out of PICU, we came home a couple of times, but we back very quickly after. And they discovered that she had um, subglottic stenosis with a 75% obstruction. So her throat was basically closing over on itself and we weren't aware. So she was crying because she was basically starving to death and couldn't breathe. Her diaphragm actually had a hole in it. So it hadn't fully formed and it would have been a hernia. However, a magical piece of tissue had grown in the middle and had stopped the hernia but her diaphragm wasn't working at all. And initially they, you know, we did lots of tests and they had lots of different thoughts on what could be wrong, but she just kept proving everything wrong. So every test we did, muscle biopsies, nerve biopsies, everything just kept coming back clear. And there was sort of no answer as to what was going on. So they decided to fix her throat. Obviously they did a full um, reconstruction with a rib graft and they placated her diaphragm down. So her right diaphragm is stitched all the way down as low as possible to obviously so she can get as much air as she can in that lung. And sorry, I'm going to backtrack a little before we did all this. They did say to us that we should consider putting her in palliative care and just enjoying the time we had left with her because they suspected that she just wasn't going to make it. But we, you know, with the help of my mum, because obviously I was a bit of a a wreck at the time um, we persevered and they did the, the two surgeries and within a week we were home and she was, Miraculous. It was like an immediate turnaround, you know she obviously was quite heavily delayed being in hospital so long, so she didn't sit up until she was about ten months old, didn't crawl until well until after her first birthday, didn't walk until about two, I think. but she you know as soon as we had those surgeries, things started to to progress. so mm.
0: Jodi, um, firstly, thank you for such honesty and sharing uh, so willingly about what's been happening for Charlotte but also for your family I'm, I'm sorry to hear all the difficulties you've had and and Charlotte's had a had a rough start in life didn't she? She
1: did she really did.
0: Yeah yeah and her health was a primary issue when she was a tiny tot um but you started having concerns as you say about her development along the way can you talk a little bit about that about what was happening for her in the preschool years yeah sure
1: so she um obviously her health was bad but and they did warn us that considering the start of to life that she had that we may see some difficulties as she got older but you know little things started to come out she really lacked core strength and she you know um, couldn't ride a bike for a long time, she can't run around a lot because she just doesn't have the lung capacity to do things. We also noticed that she um, behaved a little bit differently to most kids. Like, she, things are very literal in Charlotte's world. She, um, you know, it's black and white and there's no grey whatsoever. But she did, you know, plot on nicely through through life mm. besides all of these issues.
0: Mm. Um, so you were noticing some some small things around her development and her behaviour, and you started um, with early intervention at that time, is that right? That's correct. So she started with early intervention, um, it would have probably been when
1: she was about 18 months old or maybe mm-hmm. or, or a bit closer to two years. Um, and we initially started out with an OT, working on, you know, fine motor skills, gross motor skills, and just building up that strength and all of that. And every week when we had a session, you know, we could see the transformation and other people could see it. Daycare kept commenting that, she, you know, she was getting braver and she was, um, instead of looking at the slide and walking away from it, she climbed the ladder and then she climbed back down again. So she's slowly progressing and starting to want to do more. And I think, um, you know, it was really exciting The first time, and this probably (laughs) sounds terrible, but um, she climbed the you know climbed the ladder and got to the top of the slide and went down the slide and fell off and grazed her face, and they called me in a panic and I was just so happy that she actually went down the slide. Mm -hmm. I was I was naturally concerned. It was just a graze. It wasn't anything serious, but I was just like she did it. Yeah. And it took a long time for her to build that confidence to even you know sit on a bike and be able to pedal, but working with the OT was just you could just see them the transformation.
0: Mm, mm. So she was getting braver, bol- a bolder girl, and more more confident with what she was doing with her her motor skills. What else was happening with early intervention at that time? Was that the focus of of your sort of goals for Charlotte?
1: Most of the focus was around the muscle strength. Um, at this time, Charlotte was moving into kinder, of course, so we started to um, think about you know, school readiness and how she would perform at school and interacting with other students. So um, her OT at the time also started to look into some of that stuff. So um, a funny story I like to tell about Charlotte is uh, the OT was there one day and they were playing with the dolls at kinder and Charlotte, another child came over and said, oh, can I play with the dolls too? And Charlotte just let go of them and said, sure, and walked away. And her OT at the time said to me, I I, I was, was," she didn't know what to do. And -hmm. Charlotte was like, well, that girl wants to play now so it means I'm not playing anymore so she just went all right so there was a lot of work put into you know we can play together and we can do things lots of um encouraging that sort of social interaction and yeah and all of those things yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's a lovely story Jodie it it goes back to you talking about her being uh, somewhat literal even as a little girl
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah still to this day (laughs) yeah
0: it sounds to me like she was really doing so much better with her health but also her development she was responding to all that you were doing with her to help her with her her motor skills and her confidence
1: yeah and she was just it was I can't even describe the change in her and when I say to people now you know before when Charlotte was really sick they sort of said to us she won't live to her first birthday people look at me like this surely didn't happen like this has to be an alternate reality for you because they look at her and go there's nothing wrong with that child mm. but it's just that she's now obviously adapted and she's grown into it
0: yeah she's grown into it and probably you have too Jodie
1: oh yeah definitely it's been. it was very nerve-wracking when we made the decision to have another child because I was completely against it hence the Quite a large um, age gap because I just didn't want to have to go through it again I, I, I couldn't have gone through it again yes and you know it was completely different to what we experienced with Charlotte but it did change us that's for sure
0: yeah yeah I, I have no doubt um, it was a, a tough time so you yes, had um, yeah you, you had early intervention um, an occupational therapist what what worked well that during that time, you've talked about Charlotte really blossoming, thriving. Why was that, that things were working so well?
1: I think it was the awesome relationship that Charlotte had
0: with her OT.
1: So she had two OTs over this period from about two to about five. And she'd formed a really, really good bond with both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had a, a beautiful relationship, you know, hug at the start of the session. They were really encouraging and really like, I think she just really thrived because they they brought something out in her that we hadn't seen before. And I think it was that sort of, you know, that human nature where people congratulate you and you sort of... Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the the right word, but it encourages you and it pushes you on to do more and do more. Yeah. And I think that was what really helped with Charlotte and right. the bonds. I can't go past how amazing the bonds were like that, to work with small children, especially children who have difficulties or who are very literal like Charlotte is to be able to build that bond where Charlotte's second OT recently went on maternity leave with her mm-hmm. first child. And you know, Charlotte just wanted to know all about the baby and we, you know, had to know when she, when the baby was born. Like it was, she was part of our lives. Uh-huh. It wasn't just the person that came out each week to do some fun. She was, it was like she was part of the family.
0: Mm, yeah. So Charlotte had a good relationship with the OTs, but it sounds like you did too. You had developed a good relationship with them.
1: Yeah, we definitely did. And I, I sort of talk about Charlotte, you know, and that side, but they, they were part of the family. Like I remember having times when things were really hard and I was really sort of not coping, especially having, you know, a newborn and Charlotte sort of going to OT and things like that. And just even the encouragement from them and like they would take Charlotte, you know, come for a session and they would just run the session and I'd be able to just do what I had to do. And I knew that she was safe and she was happy and, you know, the constant feedback back, like they would keep in touch regularly. I'd, you know, know what they were planning to do. Um, each week. It was just, it was amazing.
0: It still mm-hmm. is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you, you're saying you last OT has gone on maternity leave. So have you made a transition to a, a new OT?
1: So um, we didn't move to a new OT this time around, we've moved to a, a key worker who has an education background. Uh-huh. Even that Charlotte was progressing into uh, prep last year, her first year of prep, there it was, my understanding was it would have been an OT and I was quite quickly corrected uh, that she, that she wasn't an OT, but I actually think it was probably the really, really good move because Charlotte, although, you know, she still has issues with her gross motor skills and fire motor skills where there's more of an education focus now. And I think having someone with that background has really benefited Um, Charlotte started prep last year and uh, the wonderful thing of COVID obviously took charge and we, you know, living in Victoria, we homeschooled for almost six months Mm -hmm. and I got a phone call from Charlotte's teacher. It was probably about September last year where they recommended that Charlotte repeat prep Mm -hmm. because she wasn't quite um, achieving the goals that they thought she should. And um, I remember my initial thoughts were no, not a chance in hell. My daughter will not be repeating. And then I sort of went through all those um, the five stages of of grief. Like I had anger and then I had sadness and then I was denial. I, had, I sort of went through everything you can possibly imagine before we sort of, I had a chat with the school. And it wasn't until I actually sat down and really observed Charlotte and sort of removed myself from that position of being her parent to just watching what she does. And I thought, you know what, what harm is it going to do for her to do another year of prep? Mm -hmm. She was only five. She hadn't turned six yet. She, there was no harm in it. She had six months off because of COVID pretty much. I worked full time from home the whole time. So um, homeschooling was not Mm. easy. Um, So we decided to keep her down again this year. So Uh she's repeating prep and we framed it. It was a bonus year. Because it was really, you know, she'd built some, some relationship with some of the kids. So um, this is her bonus year of prep that not all kids get. So we made it a little bit more special for it, which was good. Ah,
0: so you talked with her about it being a bonus year. So it was you were reframing it so it was a positive, special thing.
1: Yes, and that's one of the things with Charlotte I had to make sure in her head she knew how special this was because, because she's so literal, I didn't want her to be like, hold on, why are all the other kids moving and I'm not? Mm -hmm. So it was really important to sort of have a chat with her and make sure she understood that she would be staying in prep and it was a bonus and give it some sort of some context. And I just wanted her to make her in her head for it to be a little bit more special for her.
0: Yes, yeah. That's a lovely way of managing it, Jodie. You've talked about having really strong feelings when the school first talked about Charlotte having a second year um, and having her bonus year. What about now? Do you think it was a good decision?
1: Watching the way Charlotte has progressed this year, I can't even imagine have the thought of sending her into grade one. She last year, so um, Charlotte's school focus on um, like your um, 100 first words. Mm-hmm. Charlotte is knocking it out of the park. Last year we really struggled. This year she's already onto her grade one words and we're only halfway through the year. So I sort of look back on it now and go it's almost crazy that I even – thought about telling them no not a chance in hell because it was the best decision and you know her maturity level has changed significantly she didn't have any real strong friendships Uh in prep last year and it was probably look she was home for six months and I do respect that but this year she's really formed some good bonds Mm -hmm. and she's you know got some really good little friends that she chats to so I think I think it was it was the right decision and I'm so thankful the school picked up on it early Mm -hmm. but It was just getting my brain to agree with what everyone else was saying.
0: Yeah, well, you've all got to be on board with it, including Charlotte, which is why you've reframed it in such a a positive way for her. Yes. Yeah, yeah. How's she getting on at school now?
1: Look, she's doing amazing, amazing, you know, in terms of how things work. Um, A new problem presented this year with Charlotte where we found that she wanted to be. the, she feels like she needs to police the classroom so um because she is so literal and because things she's she doesn't like changes to routine things have to be structured you know Tuesdays is library day Wednesdays is computers and if anything's out of routine she really does not cope with it but I was getting reports back from both her key worker and also her teacher that she was starting to get distracted and not complete her work because she's too busy policing the classroom. So if one of the other kids is breaking the classroom rule or they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, Charlotte would jump in to stop them because in her eyes, they're doing the wrong thing and she needs to tell them that they need to stop. Mm. And, you know, there was a couple of other things that we'd been picking up on, you know, with the routines and there was a particular incident where um, we were out at an award ceremony and Charlotte had particular colour chair and then the chairs all got shuffled and when we went to sit down she had a different colour chair and she couldn't have that because that's not where she was sitting you know before everyone got up so Mm -hmm. little so we started to notice these little behaviours and a couple of um, friends had mentioned that they'd seen a few things so we've been going down the path at the moment of looking to get an ASD assessment completed Uh um, just to see whether maybe Charlotte needs additional support in order to help her you know achieve everything that that she's potential of.
0: Mm, mm. This has been quite a journey, then, hasn't it, Jodie? Starting with worries about her health and worries about her motor skills, and then her behaviour, and now you're exploring the possibility that she might have autism. So it's been quite a quite a path, hasn't it?
1: It has been, and mm. I never expected parenting to be such a roller coaster. Like I never, I knew it wasn't easy. But it really has been <laughs> um, a fun time. <laughs> and, you know, I sort of, I feel like I'm talking about all these negative things and all this, but you know, Charlotte is the most important thing. Well, besides Alana, she is one of the most important things. And she's a beautiful little girl. She's mm-hmm. so loving and so friendly and so happy. And she just genuinely wants to know people and love people. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah. it has been an absolute
0: roller coaster. <laughs> Mm. they didn't tell us this when we signed up to being a parent did they about sure. about uh, this roller coaster we were going to be on and- they definitely
1: didn't
0: <laughs> Jodie you you say you think you're talking about some of the negative things but what I'm hearing too is you talk about such positive things you're talking about her uh, knocking things out of the park in terms of some of her learning at school and um, about all the things that are developing well for her so it's lovely to hear those things.
1: Yeah, look, you know, I'm a parent and I'll always praise whatever my child does, of course. I think that's that flick of the switch that happens when you become a parent. Yeah. But um yeah, she <laughs> she's pretty special.
0: <laughs> she sounds it. So you're on the pathway to getting an assessment for uh, autism spectrum disorder. And you've talked already about some of your worries related to that, about her routines and taking things literally and policing things at, at, at school. What are you doing in terms of getting that assessment, Jodie? How have you gone about it? So
1: we, I actually started down this path last year because mm-hmm. I'd seen a few behaviours that, you know, sort of were a couple of warning bells to me. Yeah. Um, but because of COVID, obviously everything was up in the air um we have recently in fact just this week been in touch with the Royal Children's Hospital Mm -hmm. and they have referred her into a pediatric clinic Uh to start the process so we're in hopefully in the next couple of weeks we will be able to go in and see the pediatricians and have a chat with them and I just sort of relayed lots of the information I've provided you know during our chat today but also some other stuff that we're sort of noticing with Charlotte and they agreed that there is probably a little bit more to look into and you know it might not be a ASD assessment that they come back with it might be something completely different but they just Mm -hmm. think that in order to give Charlotte the supports that she needs and to you know give our family the support we need to support her we need to have a look and do a little bit more so it'll be really good when we can kick some of this off because I'm I'm really hoping that it helps Charlotte
0: yeah absolutely and and it's always an anxious time when you're waiting for the next step and And as you say when when uh, professionals are doing these sort of assessments, it doesn't mean that she has autism, but they're investigating that along with a whole range of other things to to see what's happening for her her learning and development so that that's great that you're getting that done, Jody.
1: Yeah, so yeah. you know we just need to follow the next roller coaster I guess and see where it takes us.
0: Yeah. How how do you manage all of that as a family? Have you got supports around you, people to talk with? We
1: don't have a massive village as such, you know, when you refer to it takes a village Mm. to raise a child. Um, My mum and I are very close. My mum is probably my best friend, so I'm, I'm really lucky to have her and she's got an amazing bond with both the girls. You know, they just adore her and she adores them, so that's really good um we've also got a few family members my husband's cousin and her family we're really quite close with and they're actually they have a a daughter with autism so they're the ones that sort of called out some of the behaviors and said hey you know we're sort of noticing this and we've seen this before we saw it with our daughter and just sort of reaffirmed that you know thoughts that were going through my head but you know they've they've been amazing support for us but you know yeah
0: (laughs) that that's that's your village
1: It's my village. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't need a big village. I think our village is awesome the way it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Uh, We often don't need a big village, do we? But it's good to have people that um, we can talk with and share our feelings and worries and thoughts with.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah. Can we go back to talking a bit about relationships, Jody? because I was really interested in you saying that both Charlotte and you had good, strong relationships with the OTs and the teacher, the key workers that you're working with. Has anything changed with the way you work with those key workers or services now that Charlotte's older and at school?
1: So um, initially both the OTs when Charlotte was still Um, in a daycare service so they would attend our house once a week and then or once a fortnight and then also attend the daycare service so you know making sure that we had the supports in both settings so that Charlotte had support you know wherever she was Mm. Um, and now that we've moved over obviously to the key the education side the key worker uh, Charlotte's key worker is really present in her education at school so she attends the school uh, once a fortnight Mm. and actually participates in the lesson with Charlotte with all the other kids and the teacher, Charlotte's teacher and her key worker communicate regularly to make sure things are, are working. So recently they've developed a story that is about Charlotte and about why she doesn't need to police the classroom and why that's her teacher's job and a couple other things like that. So it's really good to see that collaboration. Yeah. Um, and then her key worker also comes out to us every other fortnight and does a session at home. As well, so removing Charlotte from that environment where she's got you know noise and loud and lots of kids and just you know that really close one on one, you know, encouraging that kind of thing. So yeah,
0: that sounds yeah. like a terrific arrangement. So she's seeing um, Charlotte in all of the environments that she's doing her learning at home uh, and at school.
1: Yeah, and it's really it's been really really good because. Um, her key worker was able to sort of explain to me about lunchtime. Charlotte's a very picky eater Mm -hmm. and I'm one of those mums that packs a little bento box with all different varieties, praying to God that she'll eat at least least one of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they sort of came back and said, maybe she's got too much variety and she can't make a choice about what she has. So we sort of changed her lunch to try to (laughs) make sure she would eat during the day and that didn't work. So then we tried to change it up different, but it was good to be able to because obviously I work full-time and getting to and from the school and communicating with school is really quite hard. So having another set of, you know, eyes and ears that can come back to me and say, look, we're noticing this is a bit odd, maybe you should try this instead. And, yeah. and because she has that education background and she was previously a teacher, she also can see it from both sides.
0: Yes, yes. And that's
1: been amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that does sound amazing. And how then do you all communicate? Do you get together at times? Yeah, so
1: um, her key worker and I touch base every couple of weeks. We just have a phone call where we can just chat um, and Charlotte's not around, obviously. She sends reports at the end of every session she has with Charlotte. So whether it's at school or it's at home, I get a report and just some, you know, key things that they're working on and maybe some tips on things we could do at home. Mm -hmm. And then I also have a chat if she's here you know after school one day we have a chat about what's happening and I fill her in on things like the work that we're doing with um, RCH at the moment so that way she's aware of what's going
0: on as well yeah yeah so she's up with it all that's going on in relation to, to Charlotte and and do you have meetings with the teacher and the key worker together to to do some planning or thinking about your goals and so on?
1: Unfortunately, we haven't been able to because of COVID, so um, parents have only really just been allowed back into schools and, and key workers as well. Um, we did speak initially via email to sort of look at the goals, but I've sort of, I've left that in her key workers' hands because I feel like she has Charlotte's best interests at heart. She knows what, what really needs to be done. We've had lots of chats and, and she's really taken the baton there and ran with it, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. It sounds like you really trust the key worker to be helping with that communication.
1: Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah. You know, but, it's really hard to let someone into your life that you don't know and to sort of open the door and be like, sure, come in, you know, yeah. be part of my village as well, I yes. guess. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just we've been so lucky to have three amazing people who have just changed our lives really.
0: Mm, It sounds like they've all just been um, good at building relationships with you all, but um, good about developing trust and good communication, those sorts of things.
1: Yep, really, definitely, truly.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I asked about the meetings was I've heard from a few families who have been doing this um, meeting with the school and the key worker and other people in their village um, to uh, by Zoom or um, and COVID's really helped them learn about how to manage those meetings in an easier way.
1: Yeah, it was it's quite interesting. So for my job, obviously I'm, I've been working from home now for well and truly over twelve months, so we had to quickly move over to doing you know zoom meetings and skype meetings because it happened so suddenly but charlotte also experienced going from face to face to telehealth yes and that was a big adjustment because she does get distracted so um it's (laughs) covid's brought out i think the the worst and the best of in all of us because we've all had to sort of adapt and change but um good old telehealth <laughs> yeah. it,
0: it it sure has made us adapt quickly hasn't it and uh, telehealth is just one of the things that um, we've all had to learn to do and I'm interested to see that some people are continuing with it now for things like their student support group meetings and things
1: yeah look if there's an avenue where people can still communicate and it doesn't have to be face to face you know because face to face for me really doesn't work I work longer hours than what school yeah. is mm. so you know if if it means that our lives are easier then yay for that
0: yeah yeah absolutely no we're we're all for that (laughs) Jodie can I go back to a comment you made earlier about um the school making a little story up for Charlotte to to help with some of her social skills can you talk a bit more about that what it was
1: Yep. So this was the, um, it was actually her key worker that made the story for her. Um, So it was just a little story about a little girl named Charlotte who was in a school. So very similar to what is happening. And there was kids in there that were, you know, mucking up and they were running out of the classroom when they shouldn't, or they were yelling out when they shouldn't or things Mm -hmm. like that. And just, you know, it's almost like, coping mechanism and coping strategies but in the in the format of a story which is obviously you know quite appealing to a six-year-old yes so you know what should I be doing I should be focusing on my work who's gonna you know who's gonna police this behavior the teacher is and little questions for Charlotte to ask herself um, should I be policing this should I interrupt here or should I just leave it up to the teacher so that Mm -hmm. she can then go and ask those questions and decide how she feels Mm. And then make a decision from there. So my understanding is that they're reading it quite regularly when mm. um, her key worker's in class with her. Mm. And I haven't I haven't actually heard how well it's working and obviously we're on school holidays at the moment. But I feel like if it wasn't, I would probably know.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sometimes how it goes, isn't it, that we hear when things are not going well. But it sounds to me like your relationship with the key worker is that you're hearing when things are going well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Jodie, is there anything else you'd like to talk with other families about, share about um, your story for the for our podcast? Um,
1: I, I guess what I've, I've been thinking about this a lot and I sort of thought it's probably a little bit of advice and it's trust your gut, you know, if you feel like there's something wrong or something not quite right or you just you know something's niggling at you trust your gut and go with it so that's probably the first thing that I learned early on with you know all of Charlotte's history was there was a problem and I I know that it wasn't I wasn't heard for a long time but I persisted because I knew that there was something that needed to be followed up and I trusted my gut and then you know my mum was quite quite um forceful it's probably not the word but I'm going to say it (laughs) with the hospital to say let's do as much as we possibly can with Charlotte because my mum in her gut she knew that we had to do everything we possibly can and then we'd say all right palliative care it is and even with school and with everything that's been going on I feel like it's just really being an advocate for her and saying you know because she's only six and she doesn't she doesn't know when she should say no I don't I'm not comfortable with this or no, I'm not, I'm struggling or I need help. So really advocating for her to say, no, 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 this is not how it's going to work or this is what we need to do. Or even with, you know, seeking out this ASD assessment, just helping to provide the tools so she doesn't fall through the cracks, number one, or um, she's got those coping mechanisms so that she can just move on in life and, you know, achieve every potential thing she possibly can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Trust you, gut, it's nice advice, and it's advice that I hear so often from families who particularly have needed to persist with with professionals uh, to um, get their voice heard and, and to share what they know about their children.
1: Yeah, and I've heard it before myself, even before having kids, and I sort of shrugged it off thinking, mm-hmm. oh, no, surely someone would, you know, notice it or listen first go, until I actually experienced it myself and went, I know there's something wrong, but nobody's hearing me here. So I just need to continue until somebody goes, actually, you have a point.
0: Yeah, yeah. So really being an advocate for her. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned that um, Charlotte then has been developing coping mechanisms, but it seems to me, Jodie, that you have been too. Uh, right back from the the early days, you've developed ways of managing and are mechanisms that you'll draw on at this time too as you searching for an understanding about what's happening with the social skills and behaviour through the autism assessment?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's changed me a lot, mm. um, not just, you know, in my family life and, you know, the way I I um, advocate for my children, but even at work I feel like I have a different approach on things now and I sort of, um, if I know that something's not quite right, I'll push the push it a little bit more just because my gut tells me that something's not right. And yes. maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't trust my gut so often, but um, it definitely has changed me and I think it's for the better.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it. And uh, it sounds like trusting your guts actually stood you in good stead, Jodie.
1: Well, I haven't had any issues yet, so I'm <laughs> thinking it's a good thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been my, absolute pleasure talking with you today um thank you to you and your family i've uh, really appreciated hearing your story thanks jody thank you so much jody has been such a strong advocate for charlotte as she managed the worries and uncertainty of her early health problems her ongoing support with charlotte's learning and development through the preschool years and now her nagging concern about Charlotte's behaviour and social skills, which have led her to seek a diagnostic assessment and investigate whether Charlotte has autism spectrum disorder. Although well, we're now able to identify the early signs of autism in the first years of a child's life, it's still not uncommon for children to be diagnosed later. If you're worried about your child's development or behaviour, Jody suggests you follow your gut. Trusting your instincts and talking with people you trust is important, and if you're seeking an assessment for autism, autism spectrum disorder assessments are made by a team of professionals experienced in the field. There are a number of government-funded teams that specialise in the assessment and diagnosis of autism, or you can ask your GP for a referral to a paediatrician. The Autism Connect Helpline at AMAZE is also a great place to talk with someone about your options. AMAZE is our national organisation for people with autism and their families. Jody also shared some practical strategies with us. She talked about the key worker developing a little storybook for Charlotte to help her with her social behaviour at school, like policing the other children. These storybooks are usually referred to as social stories or social narratives or scripts, and they can be created to help manage behavior in a positive way, and sometimes help children learn new skills. They're designed to help children to learn how they should behave in social situations by explicitly pointing out what actions or behavior expected from them, and provide an explanation of the feelings, thoughts or behaviors of other people. Research shows that social stories can have a positive effect on some children's behaviour. But for social stories to work, it's important that the stories are individualised to each child's needs and they're developmentally appropriate. There's good information on social stories on the internet, but make sure you go to reputable websites like the Raising Children Network or AMAZE. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.